says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And Father, we just humbly ask as we continue now in our time of worship, as we open the word of God as an act of worship, just submitting our hearts to the truth and the authority of your word, we pray, Lord, help us strengthen us physically and help us to be alert and attentive mentally but most of all just that spiritually lord we can be receptive to what it is you're trying to say to us personally this morning through this portion of your word so speak now by your spirit's ministry we ask in jesus name and everyone said amen amen you may be seated you know if you could possibly exchange your life with someone else who would you think of first to do that with I want you to know God actually is offering, in fact, he actually is encouraging that you would do that. God's into exchanges. God's into a life exchange, but not with another person. God doesn't want you to look at someone else through social media and say, oh, I wish I had their life. I wish I could change lives with him, this person that I know, or that girl in the church God wants you to change a life with someone. He wants you to have an exchanged life, but he desires that you would exchange your life with the life of his son, Jesus Christ, and that you would make that exchange and experience the exchanged life. In fact, the word exchange by definition is defined in this way. The act of giving one thing and receiving another, the willingness to surrender something in order to acquire something different instead. And look, folks, that is exactly, truly what receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is actually intended to be about. It's actually intended to be about an exchanged life, the exchange of my old life that has a sinful nature. We might say my natural life, that Adamic nature that came from Adam, that sinful nature, exchanging that for the new life that is available through the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's an act of exercising our faith in a decision to at some point in our life give up our own self-governed, sin-indulging life and to seek to exchange that in order to receive from Jesus forgiveness of sin and the power of the Holy Spirit to live differently and the righteousness of Christ so that our standing before God is righteous rather than in a wretched condition of our sinfulness so that we're acceptable for heaven to receive the free gift of eternal life and all the other wonderful blessings that come through receiving our Lord Jesus Christ that we would willingly surrender our self-governed life and that's what our life is by nature it's self-governed We want to be the captain of our own fate, the master of our own soul, and that's how we begin life. And our struggle from birth onward typically is that very thing, is that we want to be governing our lives and in control of our lives. And the Lord wants us to, if you would, surrender that, that we might acquire a new life, a life that is actually ruled by Christ, where he's enthroned upon our heart and able to be in control, the one who's ruling over us, guiding what we do and empowering us to live right before God. That's what Paul is addressing in our text here. That's what Paul's seeking to get 
our attention, how he experienced the exchanged life, how he was living out this exchanged life that he experienced from Christ. And if we are followers of Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian this morning, it's important to understand that is what God wants for us. This is what God's heart and desire is for us. It's what's true spiritually, but it's what God wants to be true for us experientially and as we live for Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, please understand this is what the Lord wants for you. He wants for you not to try and be more religious or get a little more religion in your life. But what he wants is for you to have an internal revolution where you vacate the throne of your heart and you give up and surrender and you let Jesus come in and take over control over your life. Now, Paul, in our last few verses before what we pick up this morning, was speaking about kind of this major change and transition that came in his life, understanding that the only way to become right with God is through the work of Jesus Christ and not through keeping rules or rituals or the obligations of the Mosaic law. He had talked about how he had made a shift spiritually. The last thing he said to us in verse 19 is he says that he had died to the law that he might now live to God. In other words, Paul was saying there came a time when a shift happened in my spiritual life. When I chose to die to that old way of relating to God, trying to relate to God by keeping the you know, mandates of the Mosaic law and the obligations and the requirements, which was just killing me, Paul was saying, because I kept failing and it made me feel so guilty. And I realized I just can't do this. And it actually was becoming very difficult in his life spiritually. So he said, I chose to just die to that old way of relating to God, to the law that I might now relate to God in a personal way, that I might actually just live for God in a relational, experiential way. And, of course, that comes through embracing the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And that's what Paul now elaborates on this change or that exchange of living one way and now living the right way, the exchanged life that he's enjoying so much. That's why he says, look with me in verse 20 as he continues on, I have been crucified with Christ. That's how he died to the law. It's no longer I who live, he says, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, to me, is probably one of the most important declarations In the New Testament, if not in the entire Bible, that we should know well, that we should understand, because it emphasizes what it truly means to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, someone who's born again of the Spirit and has a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about being a Christian. Well, this emphasizes the essence, really, of what Christianity is about to know Jesus Christ in a personal, relational way where your life is united together with him in relationship and you are experiencing, as we said, this exchanged life, this life whereby you have given up your old life and died to that in order to receive the new life in the spirit through the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ living within you and helping you to enjoy that. So it begins with, notice in verse 20 there in our text, it begins with understanding the intended end of our former life, of our old and past life. He says, first of all, in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Notice, crucified with 
Christ. What Paul is alluding to here is his total connection now with Jesus Christ in everything. How his life had become one with Christ in all things. His belief was in all ways that he was now unified with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect in the spirit. And he desired to share in every aspect of Jesus' life in his death, in his resurrection, and even in his ascension and all that goes together with that. He believed that had happened spiritually in his conversion experience that when he encountered Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that something happened spiritually and he was now to live accordingly. So he says, I was crucified with Christ. Now, when we think about Christ's crucifixion, Jesus, when he was crucified, was embracing what? The punishment that we deserved for our sin, right? The Bible teaches us Christ died for our sins, So Jesus was dying for our sins, taking the punishment for us that we deserve, but also as our human representative, because Jesus was both God and man, God living in flesh on behalf of mankind as the mediator between God and mankind. Jesus also, as our human representative, was also dying to sin as well. He wasn't just dying for sin and the punishment we deserve. He also was dying to sin in the sense of its power to rule over humanity, its ability to enslave mankind. He was seeking to break that power. Romans 6 says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. So Paul here now speaking how a Christian's life is fully identified with Jesus and all he did for us. He believes that his personal acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work that was accomplished, that he was now fully unified with the person of Jesus. So Paul's saying, Jesus died for my sin on that cross. And Jesus died to the power of sin on that cross as a representative of humanity and conquered sin and death. And Paul's saying, I died on that cross with him. Spiritually speaking, Paul is saying In that moment, a transaction happened between God and mankind. And by faith, Paul's saying as a Christian, I accept that I was crucified with my Lord on that cross. My old life, I consider it dead. I consider it put to death. My old life of sinfulness was put to death with Jesus. And he says, so that it won't exist anymore. I don't want it to exist anymore, he's saying. I don't want that old life to continue to be something that lives within me. Paul believed that when he chose to come to Jesus, he died to that old way of a self-governed life. He died to that old way of sin dominating and controlling his life where he was indulging sin. And in Paul's mind, this was a spiritual reality, that he was so one with Christ, so unified with Christ, that he saw his old life, that sinful man, he said, he died on that cross with Jesus. He's dead to me now. And I want it to be dead to me now. Again, this understanding is an understanding that every Christian should come into proper understanding theologically about. Because this is the essence of what New Testament Christianity is. Is that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our lives, the Bible say, are joined with Christ. That we are unified with Jesus and made one with him. This is what Romans 6, 7, and 8 emphasizes in great detail this idea of how we have become married or united together with our Lord Jesus Christ spiritually. And again, in a marriage relationship, what happens? Two lives become one. 
They become unified, a shared life. And it's the end of the former way of life, right? And the beginning of a brand new life. And that's the idea. You know, when a woman chooses to marry a man, well, my wife married me. She, in a sense, put an end to her old way of life. She put an end to her old identity. She went from lackey to Montemuro, much more difficult to spell. And a better name, too. Lackey means slave. With me, it's princess. I mean, just it's way better to be a Montemuro. So she took a new identity and all of my wealth and great riches and estate she inherited everything that was mine now became hers as the result of relationship she inherited everything that i had to bring to the relationship well look the same is true spiritually the bible says when we come to jesus christ it's like a spiritual marriage the bible even portrays christ as the husband and the church christians as the bride of christ And when we come to Jesus Christ, it's the same. It's the end to an old way of life and the beginning of a new way of life. We receive Jesus's identity. We we now call ourselves Christians or Christ followers. We receive his, his righteousness and everything that Jesus can bring to the relationship, he brings to the relationship and we freely inherit it as a result of the unification of our life with his as we receive him into our life and enter into that relationship. Romans 6 says it this way. We know that our old man, your past life, your sinful life, our old man was crucified with Christ. Listen, so that sin might lose its power in our lives, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, We know that we also live with him. The same chapter goes on to say later, so you should count yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God now through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the Bible is saying that when Jesus broke the power of sin through his crucifixion, not only paying for sin, but destroying the power of sin as he died to the power of sins, ruling control over humanity, he's saying Jesus is seeking to give us that freedom so that we should no longer be slaves of sin, that we don't have to live, scripturally speaking, in bondage to sin. The Bible says that sin does not have to be our master. Now, it may be, we may allow it to be, but scripturally speaking, when you are one with Christ, there's deliverance from the ruling, controlling, enslaving power of sin. A Christian does not have to live in life-dominating sin. Will we struggle periodically? Of course. Are we going to stumble and fail? Absolutely. We're never going to be perfect and sinless until we enter into glory because we struggle with our sin nature. But a Christian doesn't have to live enslaved to the power of sin because Jesus broke that. And Jesus is offering that to us. And that's what Paul's conveying when he says, look, I was crucified together with Christ. That old man was put to death and died together when Jesus was dying on the cross. That's why Paul declares in verse 20 going on, he says, I've crucified with Christ. And then he goes on to say, therefore, it's no longer I who live anymore. What Paul's trying to convey there is he believed he had died spiritually that day with Jesus. And he's saying a part of me died on that cross. And I want to live that way now. That's what Paul's saying. I want to live in a manner, he says, where I've relinquished my rights over that old life. Life, he says, is no longer about how I want to live. It's no longer I who live for me. He says, that's what it means to me to be a follower of Christ. My old life, he says, where I chose and I you know, ruled over myself. He says, I decided to give up that old way of life. 
I don't want to rule my life anymore. I don't want to live just for myself anymore and as I did in my former manner of living. I chose to die to myself and surrender the, the, the rights of my life over to Jesus when I came to him in that relationship. In faith, Paul truly wanted to be done with his old life. And you know what? As a Christian, every one of us should want the same thing by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we should want to be dead to our old way of life. Really, when we baptize someone, when we do water baptism somewhere, that's what we're conveying. When we put them under the water and we raise them back up, that's the idea of identifying with Christ in his death. The water is like a watery grave. You know, Jesus disappeared for three days. He died. He went into the tomb. And then three days later, he rose back out. Well, that's what we're signifying symbolically when we do a water baptism, that this person has chose to bury, to put to death their old life. They don't want to be that person anymore. They, they say, I've died with Jesus. And I'm dead to that old person. I don't want to be him anymore. And when they come back up, it's an indication I have a new life now. I want to live a new life completely different. As a Christian, do you understand that reality? Do you choose to accept that you are dead to that old life? And to live that way. That's why he says, count or reckon this to be true. Consider yourself by faith dead to your old life. That's a crucial thing, living in spiritual victory. So secondly... Not only does it involve understanding and embracing that old life is dead, but it also involves embracing the new life of Christ ruling in me, right? That's what he goes on to say in our text here. Look at it. He says, it's no longer I who live, but here's the other side. Christ lives in me. He says, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That should be underlined in your Bible. If your neighbor doesn't do it, help them as well. Underline it in their Bible because it'll make a difference what the church is like. Christ lives in me. That statement, folks, honestly, let that reality be embedded in your heart and in your mind. Christ lives in me. The very resurrected spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ dwells within the Christian. This is an essential New Testament understanding for the believer, understanding that the imparted resurrected life of the spirit of our Lord Jesus is inside of you and embracing that in faith and seeking to yield to that experientially, not just trying, listen, please hear me, not just trying to follow Jesus and not just trying to imitate Jesus. That's, that's good to some degree, but it's much more than that. It's about knowing and allowing Jesus to live through you, to live his life within you. You know, th there's something that falls short when we remember years ago what was was a WWJD. Make sure I get my letter. What would Jesus do? And the only downside of that was it kind of conveyed what would Jesus do? Let me try and imitate Jesus. Now, Jesus is a great example. We should follow him and try and imitate him. But it still falls short of New Testament Christianity, which is not just imitating Jesus, it's the impartation of the life of the Spirit of Christ lives within me. And I'm to just to let him live his life out through me and experience that in my relationship with him. When you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the life of Christ was literally imparted into you. You are now indwelt with the very spirit of the Lord, and he remains within you. Jesus himself declared this was going to take place in John 14. Jesus said this, I won't leave you as orphans abandoned. I will come to you, Jesus said. 
a little while longer and the world will not see me anymore. He would die, resurrect and ascend back to heaven. But you will see me, Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me. Listen, and I in you. Jesus said, I will be in you. How? By the spirit of the Lord, by the spirit of God. Paul himself had come to experience this reality and spiritual revelation. That's why he says here, Christ lives in me. Paul's saying, it's true. I sense his presence within me. As a Christian, I, I hope you sense the presence of Jesus literally within you. That Christ is indwelling you, that he's living inside of you. In Romans chapter 8 and Colossians 1, Paul tells the believers there that their spiritual hope was Christ in you. When he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. See, this is wonderful, but yet important to understand to the Christian, the very spirit of our resurrected Lord dwells within us. So the Christian experience, Paul says, the Christian experience is all about this. Christ lives in me. He lives in me. I know him. I'm experiencing him inwardly, his presence. And look, folks, that brings, by way of application, many wonderful things. Many wonderful things. Let me mention just a few. First of all, that is why we possess the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why do we possess eternal life? Do you want me to tell you why we possess eternal life? Because the very eternal son of God who came from eternity, the very eternal spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ dwells within your being now when you received Christ as Savior and Lord, and he brought eternal life into your soul and your spirit. It's the presence of Christ, his eternal spirit within you, is why we now possess eternal life. Now, that gives me some pretty absolute hope of glory. Because someday when the Lord takes me off this planet, I already possess spiritual and eternal life now. Yes, I'm going to, in a sense, encounter it literally when I enter into the eternal realm. But right now you already possess eternal life. That's why you feel homesick sometimes. That's why often you feel like a stranger in this world because the presence of the eternal spirit of the son of God is dwelling within you. And that's why you feel almost out of place living in this body in this world because you're longing for heaven. So that's why we possess eternal life because Christ is within us. It's also how we experience power to overcome temptation to sin through Jesus's help. You know, a lot of times as Christians, People struggle, they wrestle with their flesh. Sometimes Christians even find themselves still dealing with life-dominating habits, and they wonder, why can't I overcome this? Why am I having such a difficult time overcoming sin? Or look, The Bible tells us Christ lives in us. Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted in all points as we are when he was a man, but yet he never sinned. That is, he overcame in his humanity all temptation to sin every single kind, and he victoriously conquered every temptation of sin. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me I can't conquer sin on my own. I know that very clearly. So how do I do it? Do I try to conquer sin a little harder? No, I realize the only way I'm going to conquer sin is if Jesus, who knows how to conquer sin, 
from within me enables me, empowers me, and I let him help me to overcome sin. Jesus said, if the son sets you free, then you'll be free indeed. Oh, why can't I conquer the sin? Because you're trying to conquer it. In the flesh, you can't conquer sin. But the Christ indwelling spirit of our Lord living within you, he says to your heart, you can't conquer that. But from within you, I can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you ask or think through my power working in you because I've already conquered every form of sin. And if you yield to me and let me help you, I can overcome that within you. And it's a vast difference, but yet very important to understand that's why Christ dwelling within gives us power to overcome sin. It's also how we just simply live godly and become Christ-like. Not by trying to be more Christ-like or trying to be more godly, again, by sheer imitation. It's dying to self constantly and continuing to try and yield to this reality. Jesus, you live within me. Would you live out your life within me? You're a much better Christian than I am. A lot of times that's the problem with Christians. We got two Christians in the same body. And Jesus saying, stop being a Christian. I'm Christ. I'm a much better Christian. I would encourage you. Listen, please hear me in this. Beware of trying to be a Christian without Christ. That'll cause nothing but struggles and frustrations in the flesh. I'm trying to be a Christian. That's a problem. You don't have to try and be a Christian. Christ lives within you. He's the one that can make you Christ-like as you yield to his life with him. Believing, knowing, understanding, and faith theologically, Jesus, you live within me. You're the only one that can make me Christ-like. Jesus, live through me. Live out your Christ-like virtues and desires and mannerisms and character and nature. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, remember he said, you can do nothing. That is spiritually, spiritual fruit-wise. Apart from me, Jesus said, if you try and be a Christian without Christ, it's going to be vain. You're never going to grow spiritually because you're just trying to religiously become more like Jesus. But Jesus says, if you remain in me, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit that is spiritually. So again, this is the important thing. Don't try and be a Christian without Christ. Well, I'm trying to be a Christian. Well, but are you walking with Jesus and spending time with Jesus and reading the word and praying and doing those things that contribute to relationship with Jesus and yielding to Jesus within you? If you're not doing that, you're going to just be a frustrated, defeated Christian because only Jesus can live out Christian virtues through you as he dwells within you and empowers you to do that. And it's also about understanding that I'm just to let my life as a human being now be a vessel of Christ. At one time, Jesus had a human body, flesh. He lived through a human body on this earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. He ascended back into heaven. And the Bible says we are now the what? Body of Christ. That's why Jesus said much more will happen after I sin because now my spirit will be among many bodies in the body of Christ. And now it's about me yielding my life to Jesus, letting him use my body, my life. Lord, what do you see? Help me to see what you're seeing. You live within me. Lord, what are you hearing here? Help me to hear what you're hearing, Lord. You dwell within me by your spirit. Lord, where do you want to go today? Here's my body, Lord. Here's my life. He may say, I, I want you to go over and visit that person, or I, I want you to go, okay, Lord, direct my life. Guide my steps today. My, my life belongs to you. Letting Jesus use you to say the things that he wants to say. Maybe in a given situation, he wants to say something to someone, and he wants to use you to be able to say it for him, to speak through you. 
and to just offer ourselves fully to him, to learn to yield my life and my body fully to him, and he can work through my life. You know, there's a book I got many years ago. I've actually read it multiple times, and you know I'm not a big uh, book pusher from the pulpit, but it was a book by Oswald Sanders, and it was called Christ Indwelling and Enthroned. Again, I remember titles from books. Christ Indwelling and Enthroned. And the essence of the book really was stated in the title. Christ is indwelling, but is he enthroned? He is indwelling. That's part of Christianity. He is indwelling. Christ lives in me, but is he enthroned? Those two are supposed to work in conjunction, that we understand he's indwelling. You have to understand that he truly indwells you, and then you will begin to want to yield to his enthronement, to use your life and work through your life, But sometimes Christ is dwelling within us, but we're struggling with wrestling for the throne. And if you're doing that this morning and you find yourself wrestling with lordship in your heart, can I encourage you? He's indwelling. He isn't going anywhere. Let him be enthroned. Surrender. Submit. Let Jesus truly have lordship and mastery over your life. Well, I know he forgave my sins. Right, but is he lord? He's living within you. If he came to live within this stinky heart, he deserves to be in charge. If he's going to live in there, he deserves to rule and to have mastery. And my life's been much better to the degree that I let him be enthroned as he lives within me. And I let him live his life through me. Well, how do we move from that place to that proper direction of relating to him as Lord? Well, Paul says in verse 20, he says, this is how the life which I now live, he says, In the flesh, the idea is in the body, in his physical body, I live by faith, he says, in the Son of God. That is the one who rose from the dead as well as dying on the cross. Right now, while we're living in this earthly body still, which is plagued still by the struggle of our sin nature, Paul understood the presence of Christ dwells within me spiritually, and I have to decide by faith to believe this is true and relate to him that way in a continuous way faith, trusting that this reality is to be my experience. We have to believe that even as our old life was crucified with Christ, that we also now are able to receive the new life, the resurrected life of Christ, because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. And he wants us as well to experience his resurrected life and the power that comes with that. By faith, again, Romans 6 says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk, listen, in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of the death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. The two go hand in hand. We experience both. Romans 8 says, you're not in the flesh now, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. See, these are theological truths, but God wants them to be simple things that we believe with sincere faith to experience them to truly experience them in the way that we live out our relationship with the Lord. That's why Paul would say to the Philippians when he was writing in chapter 3, he said, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. In the same way I want to be dead to that old life of who I was, he says, I also now want to know the power 
of my Lord's resurrection that rose him from the dead, that power lives within me through Jesus living with me. It's not my own power, but it's Jesus within me offering that strong resurrection power. But how does that come? Paul says, by faith. I live this out in my earthly body, he says, by faith. That is believing it to be true and yielding to it in action. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't overanalyze spiritual truth sometimes. Accept what the word of God says by faith and yield to it in faith and begin to experience it in faith. Live in confidence. Look, whether it is this, whether it is experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so many times we are missing certain things in our Christian experience because we're not willing to truly believe it's true and just accept it and not overthink it and not have to try and explain it and logically grasp it. Just believe it and yield to it. And you'll begin to see things experientially start to happen in your life. Don't try and understand, well, I just don't understand how I can overcome sin. I just, it's been like this so long. You just, I hear that, but you don't understand. It's been years and years. I've tried to stop. I've tried to, listen, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Believe it, experience it. Believe it, experience it. Jesus, I choose, though it doesn't make sense, choose to believe you can deliver me. I choose to believe you can set me free from this thing. I can't, but I choose to believe that you can do it. I believe it, Lord. In the same way I believe you saved me. How do you know your sins are forgiven? You believed it. How do you know you're going to heaven? You believed it. Believe every other aspect of your spiritual life. Receive from Jesus the things that he wants to do as he lives out his life for you. Well, how does that glorious spiritual privilege become so freely available? Paul says at the end of the verse, here's how it became available, this wonderful privilege of the spiritual life. He says, it came through the Son of God, notice he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Because of the great love of Jesus, doing what he did, suffering personally on our behalf, Dying sacrificially, raising victoriously, it's because of the great love of Jesus for us and that he gave of his life in the way that he did for an exchange so that we could now experience his life instead of our old life dominated and controlled by sin. Because of his love and what he gave for us, we can now be married to him and have a brand new life. And I love the personalness, if you take in consideration verse 20, the personalness of Paul's statement here. You see all the I's and all the me's. This is very personal for Paul. To me, when I look at the end of the verse, as Paul's declaring this, he says, he loved me. He gave himself for me. Paul's saying he did this for me. For me. He loved me like that? He gave himself for me? That I could experience that? It became very personal to Paul. And that's why it was so wonderful and why he enjoyed it to the extent that he did. And my question this morning is, has it become personal to you? Let it become personal to you. He loves you. He gave of himself for you. He wants to live within you and empower you and help you. And thinking of what became available through Jesus' great love and sacrifice, that's why Paul concludes in verse 21 with this declaration to protect the wonderful grace of God. He says, that's why I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, he says, then Christ died in vain. 
A term set aside there literally means to nullify is of no effect or to diminish something as unimportant, to nullify its value. And Paul says, I will not do that with the grace of God. Again, the grace of God is his undeserved kindness and favor and blessing as a free gift. That's the grace of God. And the Bible teaches very clearly that we are all sinful people, each one of us, deserving eternal punishment and hell. We deserve nothing. But yet, nonetheless, God in his great love has done everything to provide the free gift of salvation for us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're saved from the punishment of our sin and forgiven and given power over sin and access into heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit to have an experiential relationship with God, not a religious routine, all because God gave this to us as a free gift. Again, not by any works of righteousness that we do, religious exercises or routines that we maintain. We don't achieve it. We receive it as a free gift, a free gift that God offers to us because of grace. And so wonderful and essential is grace. That's why Paul here in verse 21 is saying, I refuse to set aside the importance of God's grace. He says, I won't do that. Because he says, if righteousness, the idea is becoming right with God, if becoming right with God, he says, could come to pass through keeping the law, that is through observing rituals or any spiritual routine or list of rules or regulations, if that could come to pass being right with God through anything like that, he says, then we are in essence conveying that Christ died in vain, that his death was meaningless, that it was unnecessary, that it didn't solve the problem, that it had a a vain effect, that it it didn't accomplish anything because we're now indicating that we can add something to our life spiritually that makes us more spiritual or holy or right with God through some work, whatever that may be. And Paul's saying, I cannot and will not stand for that because Christ did not die for no reason. Paul says, I can't stand for that. He died for every reason, and it's the only reason that I can experience the grace of God, Paul's saying. So important that we remember it was essential, meaningful, and purposeful when Jesus did what he did, and his death resolved everything. It dealt with sin. His resurrection resolved everything. It's the only reason we can experience what we do now spiritually, and we never want to lose gratitude for that. And we never want to let works-based salvation or legalism come in because those things diminish The value of what Jesus did, it makes it vain or unnecessary. And the only reason we can experience God's grace is because of what Jesus did. Jesus' work was not needless. It was absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary. And today we should seek to celebrate what our Lord Jesus offers because we need it. We need it for ourselves so that we can, like Paul, say, for me to live, it's going to be Christ. And then to die, gain. Let's stand together. Let's pray.